modern age. And so use, use your devices as well. James chapter 5. I got to tell you all, um, I know Rob mentioned this, but this is my one-year anniversary. And um, I know, praise the Lord. Someone's excited about that. Um, let, let me first off start by saying um, it has been a joy and a privilege to be your pastor. It's hard to believe it's been a year. It's been a wild year, but a glorious, wonderful year. And I, I, you know, sometimes you say, hey, I wouldn't change a thing. Maybe there's a few things I would change. Just a few. I wouldn't wish a global pandemic on anyone. Um, but it has certainly been a joy and a privilege to be your pastor. Um, I count it a gift and a blessing. Thank you. Thank you all for giving um, my family, me and my family, that opportunity. Um, and I, I hope and pray that I can be your pastor for many more years to come. Um, pray for me. Uh, you know, in an age where pastors are falling into sin and temptation, the need uh, for the covenant community to faithfully pray for their pastor and hem us in is even now more vital than before. So pray for your pastor. Um, if you see me erring or going astray, I give you permission to come to me and say so, right? Um, that's, what, that's the blessing of being in the covenant community, that we watch out for each other. And so praise the Lord for that. James chapter 5, um, and we're, this is the last of a sermon series we've been doing in the book of James on biblical spirituality. This is our last one. And, you know, I feel like I could go back and start from the beginning because there's so much I didn't get a chance to talk through or go through. But my prayer is that we have planted many seeds in your heart and mind that you would want to go back to this book and dive into it for yourself and study it for yourself and be nourished um, by it for yourself. That's my prayer and my hope. Um, this year, we've, uh, the, we've portioned out this year to be spiritual formation in which we, as a covenant community, we look at how we're spiritually um, um, formed, and that's why we picked the book of James. And so now we're going to go through, and, and uh, we've gone through the book of James, and in the coming months, we'll be looking at other aspects of our faith that form us spiritually. We're going to be looking at love and prayer and service and all of those wonderful things that remind us of who we are in Christ. With that said, James chapter 5, verse 7, we're going to read down to the end of the chapter. People of God, hear now the words of your Savior. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Amen. 
But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is any one among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, is anyone, if anyone among you, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Well, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass will wither and the flower will fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Spirit, you are here. Come now and do what only you can do. Teach your people. Afflict us, comfort us, heal us. Open up our ears that we might hear and our eyes that we might see. Give us more light. Help us. We are such a needy people. And without you, we can do nothing. Help us to decrease so that you might increase more and more. Give us the sweetness of your presence so that we might know that you're near and so that we might worship you. Thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. And so come now, teach us. Frustrate any word that I give that is given amiss. Let your people only hear the words that will build them up in their faith, the faith that you've given them. And bless now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, um, last week we were introduced to James' final warning. And his final warning was against laying up treasures on earth. And James told us that if we lay up treasure on earth, it will hamper us spiritually. It will, it will cause us 
spiritual problems. We cannot progress in our faith if we pursue possessions. Now I know, I know the call of the gospel is for all of us, God's people, to provide for our families. To save up and make sure that our families are well taken care of. Yes, I know. But the great tension that James puts before us is that there is a line between providing for our families and caring for them well. And then there's another on the other side of that line is laying up treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. This is why James tells us instead of laying up treasures on earth, we should lay up treasures in heaven. And how do we lay up treasures in heaven? Well, James tells us that we shouldn't be takers, but we should be givers. We should give and give liberally. Give of our time, give of our effort, give of our money. Give, that's the essence of being a Christian. I remember hearing a pastor one time says that he wished they made um, life-size offering plates so that we can put ourselves in the offering plate. Now, he said that not to say that we should give more money, but the point that he was trying to make is that God wants more than your money. He wants you. He wants all of you. That's why he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. All of you. God doesn't want just your pocketbook. He wants every aspect of your being. And by the way, he wants it more than just on Sunday. He wants it every day. In fact, that's what it means to worship the Lord. It's every day waking up and giving to God your heart, mind, and soul. James says that's what the gospel calls us to. That's what spiritual maturity is. It's giving of all of us. Giving should be in our DNA. It should be who we are. There's nothing that should be walled off from the Lord. All should be given to him. And now we reach James's final point. This is what we call James' big takeaway. And what is his big takeaway as we read this passage? What are some of the things that James is saying? He mentions two things that are so important for us, beloved, and I don't want you to miss this. He mentions two words, two concepts, patience and faith. Patience and faith. James says that as as I've said all of these things, I've told you all of these things, I've encouraged you and all of these things, and if I were to boil down everything that I'm saying to you, it'll be boiled down to these two concepts. Have patience and exercise faith. Now you might be asking yourself, Pastor, why patience and faith? He could have chosen anything. Why patience and faith? Here's why. Because we are an impatient people, and we're so often a faithless people. Remember when Paul wrote the book of of Galatians, in fact, the first uh, chapter in the book of Galatians. I love the book of Galatians. I love how it starts, because Paul says, okay, you guys are awesome. Praise the Lord for you. God is great. But I marvel how you so quickly are removed from the gospel to which I've called you. From God's people from the very beginning, whether it was the children of Israel, whether it was the early church, and even now, 
We are so quick to lose our patience, and we're so quick to act in a faithless manner. These are the things that God's people struggle with the most. A lack of patience and a lack of exercising faith. Okay, maybe I'm talking to myself here. But I'll say this. I marvel at how impatient I am. I marvel at what lack of faith I have. I could preach a sermon on patience and faith and walk out of here and get one phone call and I am undone. And if you were to search your own heart, you're exactly the same way. Carline, anyone? (laughs) Driving in Chattanooga traffic, anyone? We are a people that struggle the most with patience and faith. It doesn't take you much to lose both. It takes a word from a spouse, an action of a child, someone cutting you off while you're driving. It takes a phone call from a relative. It takes a situation on your job. And how quickly you lose patience and lose faith. This is why James encourages us and says to us, we need to be reminded to exercise patience, to have patience not only for ourselves, but with one another in the covenant community. And we need to keep the faith. That's what he's encouraging us to do. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time together, just briefly, is I want us to look at these two concepts, patience and faith, and see how James encourages us in them. And the lessons that James wants us to learn from them. So first of all, notice the encouragement to patience. Verse number 7 through 12. Now, James encourages us to have patience with his best illustration yet. And by the way, you all know this. We've been going through the book of James. James has the best illustrations. In fact, if you're looking for a Bible study... Go through the book of James and look at all the illustration James gave. It's just incredible. Illustration after illustration after illustration that reminds us of these glorious spiritual truths. In fact, if you're a college student and you need a paper to write for your religion class, do the study of James uh, metaphor in the book of James. It's a fascinating study. We don't have time to get into that right now, but I want to show you this illustration. Look at the illustration, verse number 7. James says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Oh, my goodness. If we had an hour, which we don't, calm down. I would go through and explain each and every aspect of this illustration because it's so glorious. I mean, I, I would sit and just meditate on this illustration just for hours thinking about how glorious in terms of what James is saying here. Okay, first of all, within the illustration, there's a wonderful explanation or definition of what patience is. Patience, according to this, according to James, and I think according to the Bible as well, patience 
is when we wait on the Lord to act while we faithfully serve. That's what a farmer does. He waits for the Lord to do his work while he's doing his work. That's patience. That's the definition of patience. We don't just sit around and wait for God to do his work. He is working. That's a given. But also within patience, we have to act. Now, let me break it down like this. There's something that goes without saying in this passage. We're, we're removed from this passage based on our culture, right? But everyone who lived in James's day knew something about farming. And some of us do as well. Here's what they knew. Right? When you farm, it is your obligation to create the conditions for growth. Right? But it was God who was sovereign over the process. I'll say that one more time. Right? Because this is so important to understand patience. The farmer knew that it was his job to create the conditions for growth. He had to clear the ground, remove the rocks, till the field, put in the seeds, make sure everything was, uh, pull the weeds and make sure everything was perfect for the conditions for growth. But the farmer knew he had no control on whether or not the sun shined. He had no control on whether or not God sent the rain. He had no control over whether or not the plant sucked up the water and the nutrients that are in the soil. He had no control over photosynthesis. He had no control over the processes of, of turning sugar into energy within the plant. He had no control over that. All he had control over was creating the conditions for growth. And so once he, had once he had created the conditions for growth, he waited for God to do his work, which is actually the process of growth. Now, if you've been following me, you know where I'm going with this. Our problem is that we don't understand that distinction. Our problem is that we think we're sovereign over the whole process. Our problem is that we believe not only do we create the conditions for growth, but we are the ones responsible for the growing. And when we, when we take that upon ourselves, when we're trying to do our job and God's job, what do you think ends up happening? I'll tell you what ends up happening. We get frustrated and angry at the world. We get frustrated and angry at our spouse. We get frustrated and angry at our children. We get frustrated and angry at our bosses. Because we're trying to do two jobs when God only calls us to do one. All we do is create the conditions for growth. God is the one who is sovereign over the entire process. Why do you think in this passage, in Verse number seven, it says that the farmer patiently waits until he receives the early and late rains. Again, if you lived in James's day, 
when you heard James says that the farmer is, ra- is waiting for the early and late rain, that should immediately, that would have caused you to remember the promise in Deuteronomy chapter 11. When God promised his people, when you go into the land, I will give you the early and late rain. It was a sign of God's covenant promise. It was a sign that God is at work when the early and late rain came. That's why when the farmer created the conditions for growth, he could just step back because he knew that God alone is sovereign over the process, that God alone is at work. Okay, okay. If you went to Isaiah 55, In Isaiah 55, Isaiah is trying to teach the people of God to be patient. Yes, they're under the condemnation of God, but God is going to do his work. And the way he illustrates that is this. He says, look, as the rain falls and as the snow falls and melts, it goes into the ground. And as it goes into the ground, it waters and it waters the seeds. And then after a while, you begin to see growth, right? And James and, and Isaiah, he, I'll read it for you because it's just so amazing. He says this in Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. It shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. What is Isaiah saying to us? He's saying this, God is at work. God is at work. If you've created the conditions for growth, wait for God to do his work because God is at work. That's what Isaiah is saying here, and this is what James is saying here. That's why James goes on to say in verse number 8, you also be patient and establish your heart in that truth. Establish your heart in the truth that God is at work. Why should you establish your heart in the truth that God is at work? Because if you don't, what happens in verse number 9? You grumble. You grumble against one another. And then James says, that causes you, brothers and sisters, to be judged. When you don't realize God is at work, you immediately begin to grumble against each other. But notice also in verse number 12, you immediately begin to grumble against God. In fact, the very act of swearing, the very act of swearing on God's name is a call to God to act immediately. You want God to act now. And what James is saying here is when we don't understand that, look, we create the conditions for growth, but God is sovereign over actual growth, the whole growth, what begins to happen? We begin to grumble and complain against one another. Parents, can I talk to you just for a moment? You know, it took me a while to understand that as a parent, All I can do is create the conditions for growth. I can't cause growth to happen in my child. My wife and I, (laughs) my wife and I, we we bring our children to church. Of course, I'm the preacher. That'd be awkward if she didn't. And then um, we 
have family worship. We teach our children the Bible. We love them. We provide for them. But none of that in and of itself can bring them to saving faith. All me and my wife can do is create the conditions for growth. But we have to go on our knees and pray that God does the work of grace in their hearts. I was talking to Joe recently and sharing with him, um, Joe Staven, and sharing with him recently a situation that was strong in my heart. And James said, uh, Joe said, Dennis, I think sometimes we want fruit without heart change. And that's true. When we grumble and complain against one another, that's what we want. We want fruit without heart change. We're telling God, hurry up. I want my husband to be sanctified now. I want my children to be sanctified now. I want my bosses to be sanctified now. I want everyone around me, God, to be sanctified now. I want that. And you are taking your sweet time. But can I tell you this? It takes a while to change a heart. I know you think it happens immediately. But it takes a while for the word of God to go in, to lodge deeply, and for the fruit to grow. And parents, be careful. Be careful of just seeing the fruit without heart change. Because I could tell you this. If my children did all the things I want them to do, or your children do all the things they want them to do, without a heart change, we would have raised really good Pharisees. But if we're serious about true heart change, then we'll give God time to work. And we won't grumble about it because we understand that God is at work. That the word of God is having the effect that if we've created the conditions for growth, God is the one that will make growth happen. And speeding it up does no one any good. That's why he gives the example of Job. And I love that he gives the example of Job. Notice if you go down, he mentions the prophet and the Job, but we only have time to talk about Job. Look at verse number 11. He says, Behold, we consider those blessed to remain steadfast, that God is at work. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Now, look, everyone thinks that Job is the most patient person um, that ever lived. Actually, that's not the case. That's not the case. Read Job 10. In Job 10, Job goes before the Lord and Job says, God, what are you doing? I'm righteous and you're punishing me. God, do you favor the wicked over me? He says, he, told, he tells God three things. Oh my, just read the scriptures. Read, read Job 10 when you go home. He tells God three things in Job 10. He says, God, number one, do you favor the wicked? God, do you even hear? Do you, do you have ears and eyes of man? Or do, you, or, you, or do you have ears and mind of God? Do you not see? Do you not see what I've been doing? And the third thing he says, God, I believe that you only act to help the wicked, not me. And he's frustrated at God. And he's yelling at God. But what does God do in Job 38? Read that one too. It's glorious. God comes to him and he says, Job, let me ask you a question. Come here. But by the way, stand up. Gird yourself like a man. 
Look me in the eye. Now tell me, Job, did you create the stars? Did you tell the waters how far to come up? Did you create the mountains? Oh, Job, did you, did you send the air to make people breathe? You're impatient against me. Don't you know who I am? I'm God. And what does Job do? Job says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Why am I grumbling against you? You're at work. There's something being done. And Job stops his grumbling, and Job stops his complaining, and he just says, God, you're sovereign. I know that, and I'm not going to say anything else. That's how you and I should be. Whenever we grumble and complain, we need to remember that God is at work, and we need to put our hands over our mouth and let him do his work. Let him do his work in our children. Let him do his work at our job. Let him do his work in our spouse. Let him do his work in our neighbors. Let him do his work because he is at work. And your grumbling and your complaining doesn't help anyone. It only makes the situation worse. Now quickly, that's patience. Some of you are looking at me, Pastor, hurry that up and go to the next one. Okay, I get you, I get you. Faith, real quick faith, right? Real quick faith. Now look, why is faith so important to us as God's people? Why, why is faith so important to us? Faith is important, but why? Now remember, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence of things not seen. Faith is assurance and confidence that God is at work. That's how they relate together. When we are burdened by life, and that's the context of James is saying here, when the trials of life come, we need to remember that God is at work. And the way in which we remember that God is at work is through prayer, faithful prayer, and the prayer evidence or prayer causes that faith. And what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen. The reason why you and I don't grumble and complain or shouldn't grumble and complain because we are assured that God is who he says he is and we're confident that he's going to act. That's why we talk so much about God's sovereignty and providence. What are we assured in? What are we confident in? Well, we're confident and assured of God's sovereignty and God's providence. And you might be looking at me, Pastor, what is, what is sovereignty and providence? Here's sovereignty and providence. Sovereignty is that God has the authority and power to act in whatever way he chooses. That's what gives God the right to do whatever he wants to do because he's sovereign. He's in control. Now, providence is a little bit different. Providence is how God acts. In fact, the most wonderful definition of providence is found in the Westminster Confession of Faith, question number 11. And it says, God's providence is his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing of all his creation and their actions. That's providence. 
That's what our faith is built on. The fact that there's a most holy, wise, powerful, that God is most holy, wise, powerful, and he's preserving and governing, governing all his creation and their actions. That's what we put our faith in. We don't put our faith in circumstances. We don't put our faith in anything else but the God who is sovereign and who acts providentially. That's what builds faith. That's why we don't grumble and complain because we know that there is a sovereign God who is working and that his working is holy and just. That he's compassionate. That he's powerfully preserving all of his creations and their actions. That's why we don't grumble and complain, and that's why we exercise faith. It's in that glorious reality. That's why James gives the example of Elijah here. And it's such a wonderful example of fervent prayer. Because I, I, Elijah knows that God is sovereign, and he is working providentially. And so he prays with that in mind. And notice it says the prayers of the righteous person avail it much. That means your righteousness, the righteousness that you have been given by the Lord Jesus Christ. That activated with prayer yields great results. Now, what is the big takeaway from this? The big takeaway from this is simply trust the process. Trust the process. God is at work. Trust the process because God is at work. In Luke, at the end of Luke chapter 2, it mentions this. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Have you ever thought about that, by the way? Like, just sit down and think about God growing in wisdom, stature, and favor of God and man. And let me ask you a question. Did he have to do it that way? No. In fact, most ancient literature of heroes coming, they come as full human beings. But not God. The Bible intentionally says, and I think providentially says, that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Why did God do it that way? To show us patience. It takes patience as God to submit yourself to your parents and go through that process. He had to wait 30 years before he can start his earthly ministry. All of that is designed to teach all of us the need for patience. And why we should wait, because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ waited. He trusted the process. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, and I'll close with this. Some of you are, are sitting there thinking, Pastor, I've done a really poor job of creating the conditions for growth. In my life, in the life of my family, in the life of those around me. What do I do? I have some good news for you. I want to end with some good news, and it's this. Last year when me and my wife planted a, um, a garden, I, I probably could have won the award for worst gardener ever. I, I could have gotten a trophy, right? Because I was awful at creating conditions for growth. I forgot to pull the weeds. I forgot to water it. 
Thank God he allowed the sun to shine. But I mean, I, I have no green thumb at all. I kill plants. My wife will tell you, someone give us, don't give us a plant, we'll kill it, right? And so I was the worst at creating the conditions for growth. But do you know what happened in spite of me? We got more cucumbers, okra, and squash we've ever gotten in, in our entire life. Some of you, when you saw me coming, run out of the way because you're like, I can't take any more cucumbers, Pastor. So what does that tell us? It tells us this, that even though we might be awful at creating the conditions for growth, God is still good and produces growth in exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think. Yes, I know we are awful at creating the conditions of growth, but I'm so thankful that he who is perfect in spite of us allows growth. Trust the process. God will do it. Let's pray. Father, indeed, help us to trust the process. As James reminds us, help us to have patience. Help us to wait. Help us to trust that you indeed are at work. Oh, Father, we need that reminder. We need that reminder to exercise patience and to have faith because we often forget. Work in our hearts that we might be reminded of that glorious truth that you are always at work in your people and all their actions. Be with us now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.